everyone. Uh, I'm Joey. Um, I'm normally in morning church um, with my wife and with my four kids. Um, I have four kids, Evie, Elkie, Eden and Ezra. They are nine, six, four and two, so we are very busy. Um, and they're normally causing chaos at morning church. Um, it's very different to be here at church with no kids running around. Um, me and Beck have been at the church since 2014. I think we came on the one year anniversary of Manly Life when we moved up to the ICMS castle. Cassie, remember? Um, uh, it was such an amazing season up in that castle. Best views for any church ever. Um, and yeah, we've been through an amazing journey right over the last six or seven years. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. This is the best place, best community. Love Tim and Tori. Hope you're having a great time wherever you are, guys. Um, Okay, we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. Tonight we're in chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Um, and, like, what? It's like a magnus opum for Jesus, right? Op- Did I say that right? Mm. Opus. Magnum opus. Magnum opus. His great work, right? It's the greatest hits, this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, just these last couple of weeks, we've looked at things like lust, generosity, uh, hidden righteousness, the Father's Prayer, a whole bunch of different things. And today's no different. We're looking at Jesus, what Jesus has to say about worry. About worry. Um, specifically, what he says are the causes to worry, and then what he unpacks is a few cures to our worry as well. Uh, firstly, though, a few provisos. Jesus knows you. He knows your heart. He understands your heart deeper and more beautifully than even you know your hearts. Amen? Um, And when Jesus talks about the heart, often we think about the heart in just an emotional context, but with Jesus in the ancient world, the heart was almost like the control centre of your life. Um, Could you just bring this mic down a little bit? Sorry, thank you. The heart was almost like the control centre of your life. It's where you you received all the data from your day-to-day life, and in your heart was where you processed it and decided what to do, right? So when we're talking about the heart tonight, this is the context in which Jesus is talking about. Secondly, and this is really important, I don't think Jesus is talking about clinical anxiety, depression, and mental illness tonight. I want to make that really clear. As someone who has suffered from mental illness on and off throughout my life, who has been on anti-anxiety medication, has been in that place, for any of you that know anxiety, where you have chest pain, trouble breathing, the simplest day-to-day things just overwhelm you, um, it's not a good place to be. I do not think he is talking about that tonight. I think what Jesus is talking about is just our day-to-day worries. Our worries about money and relationships and, and all these different things. But can I just say that if anxiety is a thing, is a real thing for you, if, if you're suffering from these sorts of things, just get people around you that love you and that support you and want to help you. Do not do it alone. Um, that is, that's something I found that really helped me. Okay, that's my provisos. Let me pray and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you know our hearts better than we do. Thank you that you dropped these just truth bombs on us in these passages um, and that your wisdom is just amazing, Lord. We pray tonight that you would speak to us, 
that you would touch our hearts, that you would help us um, live in peace, God, with you. We pray these words would be from your mouth. Lord, any words tonight that aren't, may they fall to the ground. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I'd love you to open it. Um, we're Matthew 6, 19-34. If you've got a phone, open it up. On first reading, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount almost looks like Proverbs. It's like these little bits of passages that have these headings, um, and it feels like it's just wise saying after wise saying after wise saying. Um, and it's no different with this passage. Jesus is talking about treasures, then he's talking about our eyes and our vision, then he's talking about serving two masters, then he's talking about don't worry, then he's talking about flowers, then birds, then the kingdom. Like, it's just all over the place, right? But on a more careful reading, we actually find that, as Jesus often does, there's this beautiful structure to these verses. And it all hinges on the heart, which is verse 25, where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, and he's speaking to his followers, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. That is our heart for tonight's passage. And it's the hinge. The first section, verses 19 to 24, he unpacks three causes to worry for the human heart. And then the next section, verses 26 on to 34, he outlines a couple of cures, which we'll get into as well. As well. Um, but firstly, the three causes of worry. Cause number one, treasure. Verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every single one of us is a treasurer. Every human being is a treasurer. We invest in some sort of certainty for our future. Um, whether it literally is treasures like money or property or shares or the stock market or whatever it is. Or maybe our treasure for investing in security is our career. That's where we put all our investment into. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a relationship. I invest my, my security for my future in this person, in this relationship. Whatever it is, they plague us all. And Jesus doesn't say that this is a bad thing necessarily. He doesn't say that treasures are bad. What he addresses, though, in this passage is the where. Where do we invest? Where do we store these treasures? What bank are we storing them in? We need to be wise about this. Why do we need to be wise about this? Well, the passage says, number one, because treasures stored in the wrong place can be destroyed. Right? Moths, vermin, thieves. In some of your translation, there's actually moths, rust. And thieves, you might remember that. Um, I love um, one of the theologians I was listening to on this passage. He unpacked those three things. Moths being nature's, um, nature destroying our treasure. Rust being time destroying our treasures. And thieves being humanity destroying our treasures. These three different ways in which these treasures can be disintegrated. Okay, number two. Why else is it important when we store our treasures? And this is arguably more important because Jesus knows our hearts better than us. And he says to us that our heart follows our treasure. 
Our heart follows our treasure. See, this control center of our lives is drawn to the things that you hold up as most valuable. I love what Peterson, Peterson says in the message version. That verse is, The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Do we have any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Yeah. We had a few this morning. Chris, you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, there was a hobbit. <laughs> there was a hobbit in a little village, and he lived a lovely little life. And then he found a treasure. And he found it with his friend. But he fell in love with that treasure. And eventually, it destroyed his relationship with his friend. It destroyed his relationship with everyone else because he wanted that treasure so bad. Eventually, he left his village and over years and years, it actually changed his mental state, his physical state, to the point where his name changed from Schmeagel to Gollum. Gollum ended up dying at the Mount of Mordor. I think I'm getting that right holding on to that treasure. He gave his own life because he wanted that treasure so bad. He's precious. Bit random. But, have we not seen throughout history and in the news and all around the world, all the time, people's lives being ruined because they go after treasure? Right? It reminds me of Jesus in Matt 16. He says, well, good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Yeah. So, in summary, the more we have of the things we think make us secure, the more we strain to protect them. And the reason this leads to worry is because our heart knows that it is not sustainable. That's good. Yeah? So we worry about it. We want to protect it. Cause number two, vision. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Every single one of us, every human being, again, we wear a set of glasses. We have a lens through which we see our world that distorts our vision. From kingdom realities. We're given this by our upbringing, by our family. Has anyone done any family of origin stuff? It's massive, right? Families we're raised in, how it affects our lives. Maybe the books that we read, the shows that we consume, the experiences we've had, even the truths that we believe or the lies that we unconsciously believe, they all affect our lens for how we see the world. And Jesus tells us that this vision, these glasses, that it affects our whole life. Now, this is literally true. I can look at things in my life that are bad for me, right? They're bad for the way I think. But also, this is metaphorically true. See, inevitably, what we fix our vision on, what our single focus is in our life, will imprint on our heart and therefore influence our decisions. Right? What we fix on in our life, what we, what we look at and what we go after, 
will imprint on our control centre and then ultimately impact the way we make decisions. And when our vision is consumed by what our culture says is right and good, then that cultural vision becomes the driving force of our lives. Yeah, I see this all the time. I fall into this pattern all the time. I see it in the church all the time. We are more influenced by our culture than we are in the gospel, right? I was a pretty weird kid when I was younger. (laughs) Some may say I still am. Kendall, I hear that laugh. Um, I was I was weird, not not in a super weird way. Um, I was good at sport and I was musical, and so I had I was ticking some boxes. <clears throat> but for anyone that knows me now, I can be a bit intense, and I'm, I I like um, thinking about life, and I like having deep conversations. And so on the playground, when you're ten, that doesn't go down very well. <laughs> And so the year four, year five, year six boys used to think I was pretty weird. And so in year five, year six, I actually got really heavily bullied in primary school. And I would run home from school every day crying to my parents. Um, And it was a pretty horrible time, if I'm honest. Um, This affected massively my teenage years. We all know how formative teenage years are in childhood years, right? Because in my teenage years, all I wanted people to do was like me. That was the driving force of my life. That was the lens in which I saw the world. I just wanted people to like me and love me, really. And so, as a weird kid at Valley Boys 20 years ago, it's pretty rough back then, I wanted to be part of the surfy group, the cool group, and I can hardly swim. So I didn't go very well. It wasn't until after I actually left high school, and I ended up doing a year over in Northern Ireland, that I had some prayer ministry. Just out of the blue, and people spoke some beautiful words into my life, and I got a lot of healing over that season. And it was the first time, actually, that I realised the way I'd been seeing the world was so distorted by my childhood experiences. Now, am I perfect in this? Absolutely not. Do I still want all of you to like me? Yes. (laughs) But I'm in a much better place than I was when I was a teenager. See, Jesus says we can either focus on the light of the world and be influenced by light and be full of light, or we can focus on anything else which leads us to worry. Cause number three, masters. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Greek for money is actually a word called mammon, which is where we get the word amen, which actually means, yes, I trust in these things. So we say a prayer and then we say amen, I trust in these things that we've spoken about. So you could also, yes, it's God or money. I get that, money's a big pull. But it is also, well, you cannot serve both God and these other things that you trust in. Right? We all serve something or someone. Bob Dylan once had a song. And in it he said, It may be the devil or the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It's just a reality of life. And you know, it's the way we're wired. It's not actually a bad thing that we look for masters. 
we're created like this. It's the way we're made. This is a good thing. But would you want to be in charge of the world? If you're anything like me, I can't even run my own life perfectly, <laughs> let alone anyone else's. I stuff up all the time. I need something or someone to serve, to show me what to do, the way to live this life. And Jesus again lets us in on this beautiful heavenly wisdom. He says you can't serve two. He can't, you cannot serve two masters. He doesn't say you shouldn't. He actually says you can't. It's impossible. Daryl Johnson um, is a, a great Bible teacher and he explains it this way. Just like a circle can only have one centre, our heart can only have one master. It's good, right? It's all about allegiance for us. What king are we going to follow? What master are we going to give control of our lives? Are we going to serve money? Or are we going to serve reputation? Or are we going to serve other people? Are we going to serve our career? Or are we going to serve the Lord? Because it can only be one. I want to remind you at this point that Jesus loves you. And he loves your heart. And he wants to dwell. He wants to be that one master that we serve. In fact, he says that we're worthy to have him at the centre of our heart. The creator of the universe and sustainer of everything wants to be here. But Jesus also tells us that every single one of us is almost always close to idolatry. Every day. We're close to slipping into giving another master the steering wheel of our heart. The things that we often place in, our, in, in that first place, they're good. Whether it be money or relationships or career, it is understandable why we want to trust in these things for stability. But ultimately, they lead to worry because our heart knows that all forms of idols, all other masters, are eventually going to lead us away from God. Jesus says you can only serve one and despise the other. Right? How are we going? Are you still with me? Yeah. It sounds heavy so far, but some good news at the end. Just to finish this section, this was really helpful for me. Just some questions that you can ask yourself as to whether or not you've got other masters in your life. If the idols that are maybe taking first place in your heart. First one is this: What gives me a sense of security? What gives me a sense of security? Is it having a dollar figure in the bank, or is it knowing the Lord? Question number two: What is my greatest delight? Now, I'm not saying you cannot delight in things. I have an amazing wife and four beautiful children and I delight in them every day. But, if I put them at the centre of my life, I would try and squeeze out of them what they cannot give me. Yeah, it's good. Right? Only Jesus can feel that. What do I fear? When we fear things, often it's because we give it too much authority in our life. Number four, where do I resist the word of God? That's a doozy. What passages do I read and I'm like, 
Uh, don't agree with that. Not for me. Can reveal some things. And number five, and this is tough, and I get this. This is this is tough, but I, I think it's true. What is it that if it was taken away, would cause you to walk away from the Lord? What is it in your life that if it was taken away, would cause you to walk away from Him? We're going to have some prayer ministry at the end. The Spirit's just stirring some things in your heart right now. Can I just encourage you to come forward and pray with people? The Lord wants to bring us peace and he wants to live at the centre of our hearts. So in summary, we worry because we put our security in treasures and not God. We worry because we trust our vision of the world over God's. And we worry because we serve masters that lead us away from him. Let's get on to the cures. <laughs> Come on. Okay, verse 25. The heart of this passage. Therefore I tell you, do not Worry. Jesus isn't saying um, it's a good thing not to worry. He's actually commanding his church not to worry. So how do we stop worrying? Cure number one. This is going to be easier for some of us. Practice being present. Practice being present. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, your little faith? So I come to Jesus and I'm stressed and I'm worried and I'm anxious and I'm like, Jesus, like, how do I have peace? Help me. And he says in the typical Jesus way, Joey, just look at the birds and the flowers. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I need you to give me some sort of wise saying that just unlocks all of this stuff and so I can just follow that and do that. What are you talking about? Look at the birds and the flowers. But isn't it so, Jesus? You sort of always threw people off, off guard, right? What's he talking about? You see, when we look at birds and flowers, when we take time to be still, when we enjoy nature, when we are present in the moment, we see how God the Father feeds them and clothes them and looks after the smallest things in life. And you matter more to him than that. I don't know about you, but in my life, God has come through time and time again. For years and years and years. And every now and then I, I still freak out. And the Lord is so kind in reminding me, I've never let you down before. 
Lord Jehovah. Just be present with me. Trust me, I am trustworthy. Birds know the Father. They know that he cares for them and he'll provide for them. And they know that they don't cause the world to keep going round. Flowers know that they don't cause the world to go round. The Father does. They just do what they've been created to do and they leave the rest to the Lord. Helmut Thielich, who's a famous German theologian, has this great line. He says, every worry is a vote of no confidence in God. Every worry is a vote of no confidence in God. Sorry, Father, but this situation is just a little bit out of your control. Mm-hmm. It's above your pay grade. Yeah, it's good. Sorry, Father, but I just don't trust that you can manage this situation in my life. I need to take the control back. Right? We may not say it with our mouths, but it's what's going on deep down inside of us. Can I just encourage you, when you're in that space, go for a walk. Get out in nature. Do some breathing. Slow down. Try and get back to the present moment. And just be reminded that he's looking after the smallest things in the world. And you matter more to him than them. And you're going to be okay. Amen? Okay, cure number two. Nearly done. Seek his kingdom. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That verb, seek, in the Greek is sotel. And in other places it's translated persecute. It is like an intense going after of his kingdom and righteousness. Like a heat-seeking missile, your life should be going after his kingdom. Press in, lock into it, pursue it with everything you've got. It reminds me of that beautiful verse in Philippians 4, 8, right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, or pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, Think about such things. Just fill your mind with it. Go after it. It should have been just priority one in our life of like 20 priorities. It is the only priority. A life going after his kingdom. I don't know about you, but, and this has been such a journey for me. I've been a Christian now for nearly 20 years. And I really, like if I'm honest, I've only unlocked the Christianity 101 stuff in the last couple of years. Daily time with the Lord will change your life. I couldn't encourage you more to do that. I actually feel like it's a mandate of my life to tell as many people as possible. Spending time in His Word, in prayer, in quietness, in solitude, in silence, just being with Him. It changes your life. It brings you peace. Meeting with the Prince of Peace, right? And I could tell you maybe out of hundreds of times, a couple of times, that I feel like I've had a bit of a supernatural experience. But you know what? Most of the time, it's just showing up. It's just the discipline of doing it. And what I've found is there's almost like a cumulative effect over time. 
I can notice the seasons in my life when I've spent that time with the Lord because maybe my heart's a little softer. Maybe all of a sudden I have a little bit more empathy. Maybe I cry in worship at the drop of a hat. Do you know what I'm getting at? It's just this cumulative thing that spending time with the Lord, it just changes us. Gives me peace. I worry less. I'm less anxious. I think the other thing for me with the daily time is that I have to be reminded daily that Christ is in control. That He is still on the throne. Right? And that His kingdom is the firm foundation of my life. Not any treasures or any lenses, or any masters, but Him and His kingdom. One day, I pray for us, I pray for you, that after practicing being present, taking one day at a time, after seeking his kingdom, that you may wake up one morning, or in the middle of the night, or maybe you'll realize during the day, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about anything. I feel at peace. And then Jesus goes on to say that all these other things, food and water and clothing, They'll come as well. They'll be given to you. But they'll be such a distant priority behind Him and having Him as the foundation of your life and being present with Him. Amen.